Well, good morning again. I just wanted to take, before the message time, uh, just a couple minutes of family time together, some things that we need to get caught up together as a church family. Um, one of them, I just wanted to stress, there's really something beautiful that I never want to take for granted here at East Bay Calvary, and that is our unity. Uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 133 how good and pleasant it is when, when we dwell together in unity. And we've all been in homes where there's been friction and you know it ain't fun. And then you've been in homes where you're just loving it and getting along. And I love that about our church ministry. I just want to keep stressing it. Uniformities, we've talked, does, or unity does not mean uniformity. I think we know that. We all walk in here in, in different clothing styles and different hairstyles and Different musical styles, different preferences for ministry. Some people would want to wear a, you know, a, a pair of jeans, and other people would rather wear a beautiful dress, and other people would want to wear a hat, and other people want to wear their cowboy boots, and whatever it may be. You know, the reality is clothing and music isn't what draws us together for unity. There's one reason why we have unity, and I'm going to tell you what that is right now. It's the person of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have a unified mission all surrounding that. And if we stay on mission, gang, we're going to be in great shape. So God bless our unity, and may he continue to use it for his good and his glory right here at East Bay Calvary. Here's another thing. Two and a half years ago, um, our ministry, this is before my time, our ministry came into an affiliation with the Harvest Bible Fellowship. And some of you may have been here at that time, others uh, maybe not. Uh, the Harvest Bible Fellowship is centered out of Chicago and has planted about 170 different churches throughout the, U, uh, the U.S. and abroad. And they had fellowship churches, and that's what those were, the church plants, that fellowship with them and were in partnership with them and even gave a portion of their offerings back to the home base in Chicago. And then there were what was called affiliate churches, and affiliate churches would pay $500 a year and they would get a discount on conferences and resources and things like that. We became an affiliate church about two and a half years ago. And, um, and so annually we would give $500 and we would be able to go to conferences and get resources at a reduced cost. Something happened this past summer with the center organization of Harvest. And I just want to be open with you all since we walked through this together. Something happened at the center organization of Harvest in their leadership where there were some struggles. And interestingly enough, because of those leadership struggles, the Harvest Bible Fellowship dissolved. And so all of the church plants are now independent. They are no longer connected with the center organization. And there is no affiliate status anymore. So I'm just, I'm here to let the church family know we were an affiliate with Harvest Bible Fellowship. That Harvest Bible Fellowship affiliation no longer exists. We don't have, we didn't vote on it because there's nothing to vote on. It just no longer exists. That partnership because of their undoing and, um, and so we're no longer an affiliate with them. This does not affect Harvest Bible Fellowships around they're, although they're independent, they're trying to connect back together in other ways, and we encourage that and the preaching of God's word. But that's where that at. Um, some people may ask, so did we pay our $500 this year? 
And for all you cheapskates that were thinking that, <laughs> no, we did not. And others may ask, so are we going to be an affiliate with another ministry organization? And uh, my answer to that is, I don't know. But I will tell you, if we ever did want to partner, fellowship with another ministry organization, that's what family discussion's about. And we'll talk about it with you. There's not going to be any surprises uh, that we're going to spring on you. We'll talk about that in the future. But right now, there's nothing in the works. And then others may ask, how does this affect us? It doesn't. We're going to keep on preaching the gospel and being who God wants us to be and loving on each other in our community so it doesn't affect us. So onward we go. Here's another thing. I just wanted to mention um, some people have asked, am I concerned about our budget? You know, we're behind in our budget giving. Um, I'm never concerned about funding budget. Never. My only concern is funding mission. That's my biggest concern. And so I just want to put it out there for people that are invested here. I know winter gets long. Our fuel bills go up. Our electric bills go up. Putting more gas in the car because it has to heat up longer. All of our expenses go up over winter. I understand that. We are behind right now. My only concern is funding our mission. We have such an awe-inspiring, God-given mission that, that we need to make sure that we have all the resources we can to keep that moving forward. So if God can tug on our collective hearts, maybe we can pull together and erase that deficit by Easter. Wouldn't that be awesome? Let's pray about that together and, um, and try to advance that so we can keep on mission here at East Bay Calvary. Okay, hey, let's get to work. You got your study guide with you on the back of your worship folder. Why don't you grab that? You know, people are known for doing absolutely ridiculous, crazy things. And you just, when you see it, don't you just stop and you say, why? Like just, just this past week, one of our boys, we were sitting in the living room, and I'm watching him from the other room, and here he is running full tilt, just right through the room. I'm watching him go all the way through, and bam, he purposely runs into the end of the couch and then falls backwards on his back. He's like, oh, ow, and he, and he's, and he starts crying, and, and he really meant it. And Chris, we go up to him and we pick him up. You okay, buddy? And he's crying and trying to console him. And he finally gets done crying. And you know what every parent asks. Why did you do that? I mean, what were you thinking? It just doesn't make any sense. You know, we, we would like to get some kind of explanation. You know what his answer for us was, right? Yeah, I don't know. He said, I, I have no idea. Some, we just sometimes we ask why. When, when crazy things happen, we asked why. Well, I went online and looked up some crazy things here this week, and I wanted to give you a few photos that may ask, have you asked with me why. Why in the world? Here's the first one. This is an interesting shot. <clears throat> and you just wonder how many people wake up in the morning and say, I have this great idea. Let's get the blow-up mattress. And you pull me on the four-wheeler down the stream. And if any of you thought that in here, I'm just here to tell you, you have problems, okay? <laughs> and by the way, that picture was taken in Buckley, I believe is what it was. <laughs> uh, sorry about that, you people from Buckley. <laughs> Here's another one. I love this one. This one's going to have your head scratched in there for a second. I, 
I just can't imagine what in the world this guy was thinking. But you know, you see the back of his cowboy hat, and he looks pretty relaxed like this is a normal thing for him. The thing I love about this picture is the biggest vehicle in it, the big tractor trailer, he's all the way over to the white line. You see that? The big tractor trailer is over on the white line, and here's the guy with the cow in his car going straight up the middle, and uh, that, is a, that, that is one that would make you ask why. And By the way, um, if you're a single woman here today, this is a major reason why you do not register on FarmersOnly.com. Okay? Just stay right away from that site. It, it will do you no good. This last one, I love that, losing your teeth in three, two, one. Yeah. We're not, we're not even going to ask him why. We'll let his dentist um, ask him why on that one. But, you know, you go through these situations, and people do absolutely crazy things, and we ask why, because they don't make sense. They don't make sense. And when things don't make sense for us, we naturally ask, why? And it's not only especially true when people do crazy things, it's especially true when difficult things happen to us. When we're faced with some unexpected or extreme challenges of life, we ask, we ask why. Now, I don't want to wax too philosophical here for us today, um, but I want to talk about something just briefly before, as we get started. To ask why begs the reality just think through this. To ask why begs the reality that there is someone other than us in control. That there's someone other than us that's overseeing us, that's responsible for my life circumstance. You know, if I punch myself in the face and get a black eye, I'm not going to ask why because I was the one that did it. But if something happens to me outside of my control, we ask why because we just assume that there is someone out there who is in control and we wonder, why did this happen to me? To ask why I have cancer, or why I'm alone, or why this tragedy, or why this disability, all this assumes that there's someone else in control. Here's number two about that philosophical thing. Beyond the reality of asking why, of understanding someone's in control, it shows our need for purpose and our reasoning that we need to have a reason for our pain. I got thinking about it this week. God has wired us God has wired us to know why. He's wired us to have a sense of purpose behind the pain. Life must have meaning and purpose. And just let's put two and two together because I've talked to people who have not believed in God. I've talked to people who believe in full evolution that we are just a set of circumstances that accidentally came about and that there is no reason or purpose for our existence. And when we die, that is the very end. And I've talked to people that believe this. And yet, when they get cancer, or when they have a tragedy, guess what the first question they ask is? Why? And in that one word, they betray the whole foundation of their atheism. Because they're understanding that there really is someone who's still in control... And they understand that they really do need reasons and purpose for what they're going through. And that it's not all accidental. So in talking about why today, 
we realize not only do atheists and evolutionists ask why, not only do we ask why, at some point in our lives, everyone asks why, even in the Bible. Look at these verses with me, like Psalm 10.1, and these will just pop up here as you read these. Why, Lord, do you stand far off, David asks. Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Here's a messianic psalm in Psalm 22.1. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Here's another psalm of, of David, Psalm 74. Oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? How long will my, the enemy mock you, God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. Why, why, why? Even the psalmist asked that. And then we ask it, why doesn't my job go well? Why my marriage having trouble? Why the kids? Why am I alone? Why this tragedy? Why this illness? Why this addiction? Why this, this disability? And I guess we ask why quite a bit, don't we? We want some reasons. It would be nice to know that there's purpose in all of this experience, and maybe knowing that purpose could give us some comfort or optimism. So you have your study guide. Before we get into Esther, I want to give you two thoughts about suffering that I think are really critical for us to understand. Here's number one. First thought about suffering and trials is this. Because of God, everything has purpose. Because of God, everything has purpose. There is a reason for what you are experiencing. God doesn't act arbitrarily, blindly flinging around problems through which people must just persevere. God has purposes for everything. Just like Pastor Rice mentioned last week, and here's the beautiful verse. Maybe you've heard it. If you were here last week, you heard it in great detail. And it starts this way, Romans 8, 28. And we know. That's the deal. We know it. That in, and here's the big three-letter word, that in all things, God works for the good. Everything. All things have purpose because God is in it. And he's working it all for the good. Isn't that good news? Okay, you got me scared here this morning. Isn't it good news that your suffering has purpose? That it's not accidental or arbitrary, but God's doing great things in it. That's number one. Here's number two. Because of God, everything in our lives has purpose. But here's number two. We don't always get to know his purpose. Now, that one's not as fun to tell you. Everything is purpose, but we don't always get to see what it is. And sometimes we do get to see. We may, may never know in this life what happens from it. But just because we don't know doesn't mean it's purposeless. And here's why. Because the verse from last week. Because we know that all things work together for good. This is something we don't have to see it. But we know that God does it. He never is without purpose in all of these things. 
But you got those two things down. Let's jump into the book of Esther. And so I encourage you, grab your copy of the scriptures, turn to Esther chapter 4. Esther in chapter 4. Remember, if you're looking for Esther, you just go, if you open up your Bible halfway, it's probably somewhere around Proverbs or Psalms, and you just keep going left. You just go toward the beginning. There's Proverbs, Psalms, Job, and then Esther right before that. If you are looking it up in your iPod, uh, first disable Candy Crunch Saga, and then uh, type in E-S-T-H-E-R, Esther, and look at chapter 4, and we're going to work through this portion and as you're looking it up, let me just give you a little bit of quick background here to the account of Esther. Do you remember the why events in her life? Do you remember what she was going through? Esther was an orphan girl. Her mom and dad died. And then not only was she orphaned, but she was in a foreign country. Here she was, a Jewish girl, and she was growing up in the land of Persia. And she was in her cousin Mordecai's home, and he was raising her as his own daughter. And then partway through her life circumstances, the king had a queen, Vashti, and he became displeased with her. She was disposed of, and then he was looking for a new queen. And so King Xerxes put out to all 127 provinces, and he picked the top young women of all of his provinces, and he brought them in to him and did an, a year-long experience with them to try to pick who he wanted as queen of Persia. And out of that year-long experience, he ended up choosing Esther. And so when you think about it, look at all she went through in life. Here from this little orphan girl status, not having anything and being dispatched from her parents and from her country and from all of what she knew. And then here she is in a foreign land, a foreign language, in Mordecai's house. And then she gets yanked out of that to go to the king's palace. All of this against her wishes. And I'm sure she's asking this question today, folks, that you and I ask. Why? Why? Well, here we are at the very climax of the whole account. And Mordecai, her cousin, works at the gate. He works in the citadel of Susa in the military section. He seems to have some prominence. And then there's the number two guy in Persia, Haman, and he comes along and everyone bows to Haman except one guy, Mordecai. Mordecai doesn't bow to him. And Haman is incensed. And for two weeks we talked about Haman's pride and we talked about his bitterness. And the last time we got together, Haman devised a plan. He says, you know what? Let's kill all the Jews in Persia. Let's wipe them all out. And he got the king to sign a decree that all of the Jews in Persia would be killed. And he set up hunting season opening day by the casting of lots and they were all going to be wiped out and here's where we are so why don't you stand to your feet we're going to read four verses of scripture together up on the screen this is going to tip us off to our study here today and how we're going to navigate through the remainder of our time together this is chapter 3 verse 15 and it's going to go through chapter 4 verse 3 and so that we're all on the same page how about we read off the screen together Here's starting in verse 15, and we'll go to chapter 4, verse 3. Let's read this together. The couriers went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. 
When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he only went out or as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many, you can see it was a dire situation. So why don't you have a seat? Let's talk about this this morning. Here the decree went out, all the Jews are going to be killed. Mordecai is devastated. Everyone in all of Xerxes' realm was devastated. All of the Jews were mourning. Even the Persians were bewildered. But what was set was set. And there was no changing Persian law. And so here in the dialogue, right after this, there's a king's servant, Hathak was his name, and he was a go-between. So Hathak would go to Esther, and Esther would say, would you talk to Mordecai and find out what's going on? And Mordecai said, the king has made this decree. And they were communicating back and forth between Hathak. And finally, if you would look at verse 8 in your copy of the scriptures, here's what happened Mordecai explained through Hathak in verse 8, right toward the end, he told him to instruct her, Esther, to go to the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. And so they're, they're having this dialogue and, and, and Mordecai says, just tell Esther, go to the king. Straighten this whole thing out. Plead for us that he may withdraw this and make sure that we are safe. And somewhere in all of this discussion, it's like the heavens opened up. It's like the epiphany happened of all epiphanies. And if you would look at verse 14, and it all comes to Mordecai, and he, at the end of verse 14, says, And who knows? Who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You know what Mordecai is saying to Esther? Maybe this is your why. Maybe this is why all of this has happened. You can imagine like the clouds just rolling back and the sun shining right down and the angels, ah, you know, from heaven. It's just kind of one of those glorious moments like, this may be it. This may be why God's done all of this my whole life. This may be why I was orphaned and put in another country and living with Mordecai and taken by the king. This may be the whole reason and Mordecai was struck with it. I'm not here to make light of your situation, but there were two things that happened to Esther reasons why she went through what she went through. And I want to give them to you right now. And, and I really believe these two nuggets are going to help us to embrace our challenges and our suffering because I can tell you of at least two things that God will do through every 
challenge and trial we have. There's two things that God will do through every one of them. And so here's what I want to give to you today. Two purposes for our challenge. These are what happened to Esther, and I guarantee you when you go through something, God will do these through you as well. Here they are. Here's number one. Two purposes for our challenges. Number one, to grow our faith. To grow our faith or to stretch our comfort zone. Now, let's just walk it back. Mordecai said, Esther, go to the king. This is going to be great. Well, look at what Esther says. Look at verse 11. Here's the problem. Esther was asked to go to the king, but verse 11, all the king's officials and people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king has but one law that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. And 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So here's the problem. You with me on this? Mordecai says, Esther, go to the king. Esther says, you know what? I haven't been asked. And if I go in there and the king doesn't want me to come in, law is I'm put to death unless he extends the golden scepter. And she says, and the biggest problem is the king and I haven't talked for a month. Now, you know what happened to Vashti, the last queen? It's not outside of the realm of reason that he may become displeased with a new queen and he has 400 other women waiting in another building for him. She's saying, Mordecai, this is outside of my comfort zone to go and to talk to the... This could cost me my life. This could be the end. It's not as easy as you think. She wasn't in imminent danger, so... The easy way out could have been just to tell Mordecai, I'm sorry, I can't do that. This puts me in a tough spot. This could cost me everything. I have to walk out on a limb with this one. Maybe someone else should do it. And here's what this talks to us about this morning. There is in our suffering a safe zone that feels more comfortable to remain in than to taking a risk and stepping outside of it. And after all Esther had been through, she came upon this huge decision. She had to, if she was going to do something, step out to approach the king unrequested, to put her life on the line. This was a huge, huge stress. I want to give you a thought here this morning. When we go through a tough time in life, we have two options. Number one, number one is to be brittle. I don't want to move at all. I am not comfortable with this. You had any brittle moments in your life? I've had a bunch of them. I remember one brittle moment for me. Even though I stand up here doing this, I was in 11th grade and my parents told me 
we want you, because I was in a little Christian school, class of four. I was valedictorian. <laughs> and uh, they told me they wanted me to go, because we had these competitions around um, in our state and even nationally for public speaking and singing, and they said they wanted me to go in this preaching competition. But let me just tell you, I was the shyest young man you'd ever met. Anyone poke fun at me, my face would turn beet red. I was so embarrassed. I hated doing anything publicly. I didn't want to screw up and have people laugh at me. And, and uh, now I do it for a living. And, and I remember I, I, I was so scared. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. And they're like, Brian, come on. You know, it'll stretch you a little bit. And I'm like, I don't really feel like being stretched. And let me tell you, folks, there is no colon cleanse product on the market that can do for you what public speaking for the first time can do. <laughs> and I remember the rules of the competition where I had to speak at least six minutes, but no longer than eight. And I'm like, how can I speak for six minutes on anything? I've obviously gotten over that. And it was such a brittle moment for me and I didn't, I didn't want to be stretched. Some people have brittle moments because they know that maybe there's someone with a need but what am I supposed to say? It's out of my comfort zone. I'm just supposed to go up to them and talk to them and ask how can I help you? I mean what if they don't want my help? What if I say the wrong thing? Some people have brittle moments when it comes to sharing their faith, and they're like, I know that they really need Jesus, and man, they could use the series we're going through in church, but what, what if they laugh at me? You know, what if they started to make fun, and the other people saw it, and everyone at work just thought I was just some crazy Jesus person? Get brittle moments. Then the other response we can do away from the brittle is to be bendable. To be bendable, to be moldable, to be able to be stretched. And when we look at this, we understand there's, there's just two ways to go, gang. When these tough times come into life, there's two ways to go. Either I say, I don't want to move, I don't want to grow, I don't want to stretch. And yet God brings these tough times not to leave us the way we were, but to stretch us beyond what we were, to be more than what we were, to grow to be more like Jesus Christ, to do things we otherwise could not do. And God wants to bend us. He wants to grow us. He wants to stretch us. And that's what happened with Esther. And I love this. Just look down at verse 15 and 16. And after Esther went through this in her mind, and she's like, what do I do? And I'd have to step out on the limb, and what if he doesn't want me? And what if I'm killed? And then she comes to this conclusion, and look at these verses right here in front of us. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. She said this, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king and look at this gang. And even though it's against the law, and if I perish, 
I perish. Wow. No more comfort zone for Esther. God put her in a stretching situation. Instead of remaining brittle, which you could see at the very beginning, all of a sudden she said, okay, God, here we go. I'm going to do it. And God puts us in those moments to stretch not only ourselves, but to stretch our faith and dependency on him to do something outside of ourselves that we have to rely on him to get us through it. No other way. That's the first reason. That's the first reason why God brings things into our life, to stretch our faith, to grow our faith. Here's number two. To increase our impact on others. And I'm not going to get into next week's lesson right now. But I think we know. God used Esther not only to grow her, these tough times not only grew her, but God put her in a position where, gang, she was God's instrument to save the lives of millions of Jews in Persia. And here's, here's her tough circumstance that not only impacted her life, but God used her to impact others. And there's this phrase that I come out with, like the last one, be bendable, not brittle. And here's this one, and I give it to you. What God does to you shouldn't end with you. What God does to you shouldn't end with you. The experiences God brings to you aren't just for you. But they're so you can be in a position to help other people. And God's done this time and time again throughout the course of history. And if you have some Bible background, you, you may have heard instances of people like Joseph. Where God put him through all kinds of different circumstances. And at the end, he saved the, the, the whole nation of Israel from famine. God used Moses to be able not only to grow him as a person, but to rescue the Jews out of Egypt. And God used Noah and his family to, to save mankind and the human race. And God used Jesus Christ, his own son, who suffered and died, but it wasn't merely so he could be an example, but it's that way he could impact the world and save us from our sin for those who put their faith in him. And you realize what God does to us shouldn't end with us. It didn't with Esther. It didn't with those, and guess what? It shouldn't with us. Have you ever been in a situation, in a challenge, and you look around and you found out someone needed you? I'll tell you one from me. Maybe this will stir your thought. 11 years ago, my wife and I were in the emergency surgical center in Syracuse, New York. And our third born was uh, uncontrollingly vomiting in intense pain. And they found out when they did an MRI um, that she actually has extra kidney parts. And they think she may have been, she may have had a twin, even. And of course, my wife and I thought, oh my, if she was a twin. That's for another story. Anyways, 
And she, she had a tube in her that was completely kinked off. And they said, we're going to have to go in, open her up. We need to reattach that. We need to put a stent in there. And, and hopefully that, that'll help solve the issue for, for now. So here we were, and our minds were all focused on her and what was going on. And, uh, and we were nervous. And all there are is these curtains. You've been in there before. They're not soundproof. There's no privacy. It's just these curtains pulled on either side. And there's people going through life things over here and life things over here. And we're listening over here to this woman. And here they are talking to their daughter. And the doctors come in and they said, okay, we're going to take her out. And we hear them over there, and they say, we're going to put, um, we need to try to open up those blood vessels in her vein, or in her brain. And we're going to put stents in there. And hopefully that'll open things up and get things flowing, and that way she won't be having these problems. And so they took her away, and of course, you're just in there for hours on end, and then they bring her back about an hour and a half later. They say, well, let's give this a shot. Hopefully things will work out, and about an hour later, they came in and said, uh, we're sorry, it's not working. We need to take her back in. And they took her back in. And then they brought her back. They said, hopefully that'll work. And then they came in about an hour later, and they said, this is not working. And we need to take her back in. And the woman got on the cell phone, and she was talking with her husband, and she said, um, I don't know what to do. So they're going to take her back in, and, and I don't know what to do. And, and, and she says, I just wish there was someone here to pray with me. You ever have those moments when you realize, maybe we really weren't here for Brenna? Maybe we were really here for that woman? I remember going up and just drawing back the curtain. And here's this little blonde-haired girl. Her head was shaved up the middle and down this side, and she had her blonde hair pulled this way and in one braid. And you could see on the bald side of her head where they had been doing all the procedures. I said, ma'am, you probably won't believe this, but I'm a pastor. And of course, she just bawled. I said, can I pray with you? And we did. We prayed there in the spot. We prayed for this girl. And then they took her in. And, and I remember later that night laying on that chair in the hospital ER room, which if you've ever been in those chairs, you need to be admitted to the hospital after you've been in those chairs. They're so bad. And I remember hearing her behind the curtain. No joke, here's what she said. She said to her husband, you'll never believe this. But a pastor was right next to us. And he prayed with us. And she says, honey, I think we need to get back to church. That's something. And you wonder why. Why does God do what he does? I'm here to tell you your challenge, your suffering, your struggle, your trial is not without a purpose. It's not. 
all things God works for the good. All things, and we know it. And there's two things he does in all of it, and he'll do it for you too. He'll stretch us. So don't resist. Let him grow you. He'll use you to help others even in your time of pain. Sometimes we're even better at helping others in our time of pain because we know what it feels like. So let me give you these two take-home truths and we're going to finish up with them. Number one, you've heard this already. You could probably fill it in without me. Be bendable. Be bendable, not brittle. So if you're here this morning and you are 100% sinless and fully conformed without exception to the character of Jesus Christ, these next thoughts aren't for you. They're for the rest of us. We have farther to go, folks. We're not all of who we can be. And God will use our struggles to make us more like Jesus. And so I encourage us and I challenge us, let him grow us. Don't resist. The way to keep from breaking in our trial is to stretch. Brittle things break. Bendable things flex. The way he wants us to. Be bendable, not brittle. Here's number two. What God does to you shouldn't end with you. What God does to you shouldn't end with you. This is why God wants us in community with others. This is why he wants us to reach others. This is why there's church so we can have an impact on others. This is why there's small groups so we can share our story with others. I've had people come to me and say, you know what, I don't need small groups. I don't need to get in those little groups. I say, I realize you may not need to, but you know what, there's someone in those small groups that needs you. They need you. They need your story. They need your life and your experiences and your pain. They need it and don't deprive them of it because what God does to you shouldn't end with you. They need you. Your trial is a purpose. It's to stretch you. It's to stretch your faith in God for his purpose. It's to make you more of an impact on others. And I just want you to get reflective with me, would you? Just in the quiet, would you close your eyes? Would you get reflective and think with me? With whatever you're going through right now, how may God be stretching you? Don't resent it. Don't resist it. Release control to God and rely on him. If it's your finances, if it's your marriage, if it's your children, if it's your disability, if it's your physical nature, if it's an addiction, if it's a disability, if it's your job, do things God's way and rely on him. 
And when you're in your struggle, look around. I guarantee you there's someone around you that you can help. A divine appointment because as we say around here, it's not about us. In 20 seconds of silence, would you talk to God? Ask him to grow you, to use you. Submit to his control in your life through your struggle. Would you talk to him right now, just in your heart? I give you 20 seconds. Father, we are real. We're real people going through real life with real hurts. God, we take comfort knowing that you have purpose for our pain. And God, we stand before you today saying, stretch us. Forgive our comfort zone passion and our brittleness. And God, help us to be bendable in your hands. And God, use us. And may we see people, even this week, that you can have us touch. For your glory and your honor. stand with me friends I want to read you one last account and with this we'll finish up listen to this out of the darkness out of the dark forbidding soil the pure white lilies grow out of the black and murky clouds descends the stainless snow. Out of the crawling earthbound worm, a butterfly is born. Out of the somber shrouded night, behold, a golden morn. Out of the pain and stress of life, the peace of God pours down. Out of the nails, the spear, the cross, redemption, and a crown. Out of our pain, good for us and for others. Let God use your trial to stretch your faith, to grow you and grow your dependency on him. Let God use your trial to use you to help others. Amen. Let's do it, gang. God bless your week. May God use you in a great, great way. God bless you.